Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Hi, this is David Sachs and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, Purim. And I just want to begin with um, something that the B'nai Yisachar says. He he asks a great question, which was, what is the miracle of Purim exactly? And it's really a great question, because when we think of miracles, we tend to think of uh, the splitting of the Red Sea, for instance. I mean, things that sort of like upend the natural order. Um, mana falling from heaven. You know, you're in the middle of the desert. There's no food, but there's like crystallized light, which which in, in this dimension manifests itself as, as, as grains of bread falling from the sky that you can make anything out of. This is what we tend to think of um, when we think of the miraculous. And yet we know that the, that the Jews were, were sentenced for destruction, that we were on just like a, a, an express train toward genocide. And, and all of a sudden, we get saved through these series of events that were layered one on top of the other over a period of years that all culminated together and then somehow led to our salvation. But nothing in terms of the natural order was violated. There was no splitting of the Red Sea, nothing, nothing openly miraculous. And yet it was utterly miraculous. So the B'nai Saskar gives this example. He says, imagine there's a person, and, and by the way, he's writing in the 1800s and in Poland. And, and what I love about this is that he talks about China, you know? So I don't know why that makes me so happy, someone in Poland talking about China in the 1800s, but much less a Hasidic Rebbe, but somehow that just, that just makes me really happy. But anyway, here's the example. He says that there's a person deathly ill. He's lying in bed. He's not going to make it. The doctor looks at him and says, you know, you're not going to make it. (laughs) He says, but there is one way to save you. He says, there's this herb in China. Um, But by the time that we send a boat to China and and get the herb and then come back here, you're going to be long gone. He says, just then, there's a knock at the door and someone says, a ship just came in from China with the herb. <laughs> now, nothing miraculous happened. There was no splitting of the Red Sea, no nothing. And yet, clearly, that's a miracle. Clearly, that's a miracle. So, so this is the B'nai Yisoskar's explanation of the nature of, of the miracle that took place on Purim. In other words, nature wasn't openly violated. And yet, when you look at it, you realize, wow, like, that's, that's incredible. It's incredible. So, so based on that, 
I want to I want to say the following, which is, do you know what's even deeper than the splitting of the Red Sea? Knowing that even when I don't see Hashem, He's saving me all the time. Did you hear that? Do you know what's even deeper than an open miracle? Knowing that Hashem, even when I don't see Him, is saving me all the time. So, so you could say, and you'd be right in saying, but I, it's just like, uh, take a few steps backwards and get a broader perspective on this thought, okay? You could say to me, but that's going on all the time, isn't it? Isn't Hashem saving me absolutely all the time? So, so why are you saying that that's poor? Because that's, that's all the time. Okay. So I want to give you a visual right now that will help you um, understand, I think, the way God interacts with us on a deeper level, and also understand how to sort of like um, categorize and internalize all the messages that each of the specific holidays have attached to them. Because just like you could say, isn't Hashem saving me all the time, even if I don't see him? Yes, that's true. But isn't that also the message of Purim? Yes, that's also true. Now, what about Pesach? Isn't God taking me out of Egypt every single moment? Yes. But isn't that also the message of Pesach? Yes. Okay, and what about God giving me the Torah? Isn't God giving me the Torah every single second, every day? Yes. But isn't that also the message of Shavuos? Yes. <laughs> okay, hopefully you get the idea by now. <laughs> so now, let me give you the visual that will make all of this make uh, sense, okay? And um, I think all of us uh, were, were taught this probably in junior high school science class, uh, or, or maybe even earlier. And it's that great visual of white light refracting through a prism and separating out into the colors of the rainbow. Okay, and that's one of the most famous uh, album covers in rock and roll history. Um, but, but once again, you've got white light um, going through a prism and then it separates out into each of the colors of the rainbow. Well, the first thing you have to know is that uh, that white light contains all the colors, which is surprising, right? Like if I had a white t-shirt and you splashed my white t-shirt with red and orange and purple, it wouldn't be white anymore. <laughs> and yet there's something amazing about the nature of white light that it can absorb all of the colors, and still be white. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And I think probably most of you have had this experience where you have a color wheel, something that looks a little bit like a dreidel that has all the different colors on it, and then you spin it and you look at the colors and it just becomes white. So you can actually see it happen before your eyes. But anyway, how does this connect with the idea that God is saving us all the time, even when we don't see it, and yet, the, and yet the headquarters, and that's the key word here, 
the headquarters of that idea is Anpur. So, so basically, it's like this. The white light stands for what Hashem is doing all the time. And Hashem is giving us the Torah all the time. And Hashem is saving us all the time. And Hashem is taking us out of Egypt all the time. All these things are true. But now we get to the prism part. What is the prism in this analogy? That's this dimension where we have time and space. And so what happens is all these divine qualities of Hashem get channeled into this dimension of time and space. And all of a sudden, the different qualities of Hashem get refracted out through time and space, and their distillation point, their headquarters, reaches a certain part of the calendar, again, which is our record of time and space. So, for instance, this idea that God is saving us even when we don't see him, which is always true, the headquarters of that gets put on the calendar on the 14th of Adar, right? And on the 15th in the walled cities. This idea that God is constantly taking us out of Egypt, out of our problems, which is always true, gets refracted through time and space in this dimension. And the headquarters of that, the essence of that, gets put on the 15th of Nisan. And, and, and that's what it is. That's what it is. So yes, it's true all the time. But yes, on an even deeper level, there's a headquarters for the essence of the quality of that salvation. And when you go to the headquarters, you can tap into the root of that divine, merciful energy. And you can expand upon it. That's why the holidays are tremendous spiritual opportunities for us to take whatever quality God is revealing into the world and really tap into the root of it and really expand upon it. Okay? So that's why we really want to be prepared when the holiday comes to know what to pray for and know what to do so that we can take full advantage of being able to harness the blessing that's coming into the world. Okay, so now let's get back to Purim. So let me, let me start with, a, with a, a, uh, some learning from Rob Firmer. Um, that's the Eretz Tzvi, and we're so lucky to be learning him, and out of this beautiful new edition that we have right now. And again, the Eretz Tzvi um, uh, was the Rosh Hashiva of Hachmei Lublin. And he asks the following question. You know, yesterday we we had um, Parsha Zachor, where um, it's a special mitzvah to hear it read, and 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 it's it's the divine commandment to wipe out Amalek. Now, there are actually two readings, by the way, which is discussing uh, getting rid of Amalek. One of them we read uh, the Shabbos before Purim. That's what we just did yesterday. And one of them we read on Purim, okay? Just so you know, that's going to factor in in a little bit. So there are really two of them. But anyway, 
The Pasuk that we read yesterday, the verse that we read yesterday, listen to the language carefully. I'm going to paraphrase the language of the, of the, of the verse, okay? But you'll, you'll, you'll see that there's a big question in it, and, and Rav Frimer asks this question. So the verse goes like this. God says, um, after you wipe out all of your enemies, wipe out Amalek. <laughs> now, hopefully you heard, uh, I sort of rejiggered the language of the verse slightly, just, just to make the question more apparent, but hopefully you heard the question. Who is our number one enemy? Our number one enemy is Amalek. So how can Hashem say, after I wipe out all of your enemies, shouldn't that include Amalek? That has to include Amalek. If, if it says all of your enemies, for sure it has to include Amalek. So then why does the end of the verse say, after I wipe out all of your enemies, make sure to wipe out Amalek? That's, that's question number one. Okay? Question number two is, on the 13th of Adar, remember the, the celebration for most people for Purim is the 14th of Adar. Okay? Um, in Jerusalem, we do it on the 15th, and other world cities, we do it on the 15th. But for most of the world, Purim is on the 14th of Adar. So the big war um, where uh, the Jews sort of wiped out uh, the Amalekites that were in um, Ahasuerus' kingdom was on the 13th of Adar. So here's Rav Frimer's second question, and, and both of these are going to be sort of, both of these questions are going to be answered at the same time. The second question is, if the big war was on the 13th of Adar, where we very successfully vanquished our enemy, why is Purim celebrated on the 14th of Adar? Why is it celebrated the next day? In other words, it would be very intuitive if that was the day of the victorious war, celebrate the holiday on the holiday of the victorious war. Makes sense. Okay? So these are our two questions for now. And there are a bunch of teachings beyond this, but but let's uh, let's figure this out. Because Rob Frimer is going to say something very, very deep here. And something that's going to be a big practical lesson for us. You know, these these talks, I call it spiritual tools. Um, for an outrageous world. And my, my hope is always that that these teachings aren't just sort of like, hopefully mind expanding and heart opening, but they're very practical, that there's that we're taking things from this that we can actually do in our lives in a very real way. So this is going to lead to um, some very practical teachings in a moment, okay? Anyway, so let's go back to that first question. Why does the verse say, after God gives you the ability to wipe out all your enemies, make sure to wipe out Amalek? Because the first part should include Amalek. So if you've already wiped out Amalek, why do you have to wipe out Amalek? That's the question. And here's the answer. You ready? Rob Frimer says that there's there's, there's two aspects to Amalek. There's the Amalek that exists outside of us and the Amalek that enters into our heart. Did you hear that? There's the aspect of Amalek, 
which is the nation itself, the physical enemy, right? Like the Nazis, Yamach Shemam, that line up and try to attack us. That's, that's one aspect of a Malik. But then there's another quality of a Malik that actually enters into our heart and causes us to hate and to be jealous of each other and to complain. Okay? So, so what Rav Firmer is saying is that he's explaining the Pusik. The Pusik is not being mysterious or redundant. God is being very careful with his language, of course. He's saying, once you get rid of the outside aspect of a Malik, and you win the war against this hostile nature, this hostile nation, now you have to do the inner work and get it out of your heart. Okay. Now, how do you do that? And now, now we're going to get into a very, very practical side. And this was really a revelation to me. This was like a life-changing bit of instruction for me. Life-changing in the sense that this Purim, God willing, is going to be different from other Purims for me because of what I'm about to tell you. Okay? So he says, how does Amalek manifest itself inside our hearts? And he, he zeroes in on three qualities. Jealousy, hatred, and complaining. Okay? And he says that the mitzvahs of Purim, specifically Matanus Levionim, which is tzedakah for poor people, charity for poor people, and Shalach Munas, which is gifts that we give each other, that these are ways to cleanse our heart of these negative qualities. Now, I'll tell you why that's such a big idea for me. Because I thought, okay, it's Purim. You know, back then they gave gifts to each other. So because back then they gave, they gave gifts to each other, today I also have to give gifts to, to people. And back then they gave tzedakah to each other. And so because back then they did that, I, I have to do the same. That, that's what I thought. I didn't really think about it much, but that's what I thought. But now I'm, I understand it completely differently. Do you know what our sages, what our holy rabbis gave us? They gave us medicine, spiritual medicine to cleanse the anger and the hatred out of our hearts to this day. They gave us a way to purify our hearts. And the way that we do it is on Purim, we're giving tzedakah and we're giving gifts. And by the way, usually the, the sort of like intuitive way is that you're giving shalach munis to the people who you really like and you get along with. But there's an even deeper teaching here, which is telling you that if you want to make a breakthrough with people who you don't get along with, where there's, where there's anger or, or, or hatred that exists, either from your side or from their side, that one of the ways to break through and to cleanse this spiritual 
problem of hatred, of separation between Jews, of walls around your heart, is to give shalach munis, to give these gifts to, to, to those people as well. That, 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 that's an amazing thing. So, so now with this in mind, we're going to answer his second question, Rob Firmer's second question, which is why are we celebrating, um, why are we celebrating on the 14th when the victory was on the 13th? And now we understand what the answer to that question is. Because on the 13th, we got rid of the Amalek that was outside of us. On the 14th, we're getting rid of the Amalek that's inside of us. And that's the final victory, and that's the full celebration, and that's why Purim is celebrated on that day. So, so I think... I think, God willing, this this year, when you approach the mitzvahs of Purim, especially giving tzedakah, because when you give tzedakah, you make peace. Okay, and we're going to go deeper into that idea in a moment, God willing. When you give tzedakah, you create peace. All right? And you also get rid of jealousy, by the way. Because one of the great um, causes of jealousy is that God made a world where there are haves and have-nots. That, that wasn't my idea. That wasn't your idea. That wasn't the inefficient government's idea. That was God's idea. Okay? People have different amounts. Okay? And one of the tendencies of people, because we're human beings, is if you have less, and by the way, you might have more than someone else, but there are many people who you can look to who you have less than. Okay? So, so everyone is in the category of having more, and everyone is in the category of having less. Um, but the point is the following. To those people who have less, a lot of times they look to the people who have more, and they have jealousy, or they have hatred. But the Torah is teaching us that if the people who have more are giving money and sharing with the people who have less, that jealousy and hatred goes away. Okay, it's just like a spiritual cure. That, that's just what it is. There's some blessing that's attached to the act of giving in that way, which calms the heart and cleanses the heart, not just of the giver, but of the receiver. So, so now, let's, let's go deeper into another teaching, okay? Also about Purim. And again, when you learn this, you're going to have a different Purim. You're going to have a different Purim, I promise you. If, you. if you listen to what I'm saying and you think about what I'm saying, this Purim will be different. Okay. So, you know, if there are two Adars, two months of Adar, and by the way, I have to say in the name of Rabbi Salmon Trader, a teaching that I heard from him that I, I love very much. You know, the, the, the way the Hebrew calendar is fixed is that a lot of people think that the, that the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar, and that's mostly true, but it's got a solar component to it as well. So the truth is, is that the 
Jewish calendar is actually lunar and solar, okay? It's mostly lunar, but it's also solar. Because there's a commandment that Pesach has to be celebrated in the month of springtime. Now, if you look at the Muslim calendar, which is purely lunar, you'll see that the month of Ramadan can happen any time during the 12 months of the year, because it's not rooted to the solar calendar at all. Okay? Whereas Jewish people have a special mitzvah, which is to celebrate the holiday of Pesach in the springtime. So if you if, if Pesach is going to remain in the springtime, the Jewish calendar cannot be purely lunar. It has to be tied to the sun as well. And the way that we do that is every several years, we have two months of Adar. Okay, we, we double up, we add an extra lunar month. Now, Rabbi and Trader pointed out, he said, well, if all you have to do is add another month, why are we adding another month of Adar? Why not another month of Kislev? Or another month of Tishrei? Or there's a lot of choices. Why did the sages pick Adar? So Adar is the time of joy. And he said, through joy, you can fix anything. And that's why we double that's why we double the month of Adar, because with joy, with joy, through joy, you can fix anything. Okay, so now when there are two months of Adar, which month do you celebrate Purim in? So if you asked me, I would have said, you know, we have this idea called uh, Zrizis Kite, right? You want to run to do a mitzvah. You don't just do a mitzvah. Okay, I'll get around to it. Ah, don't bother me. Ah, I'll get to it. No, no, no. If you have a mitzvah, you, you run to do it. Okay? So with that in mind, I would have said, if you have two months of Adar, you should have Purim in the first month of Adar. That seems pretty straightforward. Okay? Except that's not the case. <laughs> we do Purim in the second month of Adar. Why? And now, hear this well, because we want to connect the two Yeshuas, the two salvations. We want, because after Adar comes Nisan, Nisan is the month of Pesach. We want Purim and Pesach very close together. We want them 30 days apart. Okay? And so for that reason, Purim is always in the second Adar, so that it can be close to Pesach. Purim and Pesach should go together. Now, I heard Reb Shlomo tell this joke many years ago, and after he told it, he laughed so hard. By the way, that was something that Reb Shlomo would do all the time. He would often tell jokes, and he would laugh harder than anyone in the entire room. Okay? So here was an example. <laughs> So he said that there, that that these are two Jews talking, and one Jew says to the other Jew, "How long a train ride is it from uh, Minsk to Pinsk?" And the the guy says, "Eleven hours." He goes, "Okay, okay." He says, "But how long a train ride is it from Pinsk to Minsk?" <laughs> he said, "I just told you from Minsk to Pinsk." It's 11 hours. So from Pinsk to Minsk, it's also 11 hours. He goes, oh, 
He says, because between Purim and Pesach, it's 30 days, but between Pesach and Purim, it's 11 months. <laughs> and then he laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> so, anyway, one of the things that I learned from that joke, I don't know if this is what he was trying to teach. It's a little bit heavy what I'm about to tell you, but you know, Sometimes with one thing, it's easy to do. But to undo that thing, it takes a long time. You know, from Minsk to Pinsk, right? From Purim to Pesach, it's 30 days. But from Pesach to Purim, it's 11 months. Anyway, it's heavy. It's heavy. But let's get back to Rav Frommer's teaching. So, so we know that, that, that Purim is the preparation for Pesach, that it's 30 days away. And, and it says in the Talmud that you're supposed to start preparing for a holiday 30 days beforehand. So that, that works out very nicely in this instance, that Purim, a lot about Purim is really preparing for Pesach. So now let's go a little bit deeper. And I'm telling you, when you hear this, you're going to have a different Purim. So, Pesach happens in the month of Nisan. Now, Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah for two different things. For wheat, okay? And, um, you know, in Torah, in Torah code, wheat is bread and bread is money. Okay? Um, so that means Nisan is a time of money because it's a time of wheat. Now, also, it says in the uh, Gomorrah that there are four different Rosh Hashanahs during the year. And Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah for kings. And, you know, kings, that's all about cash. If, if, if someone is, is, a, is, is a king, that means he's got the Shulchan, which is the king's table, which is a place of plenty, right, and abundance. So from these two things, Rav Frommer brings down that you really see that Nisan is a time of Shefa. What's Shefa? That's a, a downpouring from heaven of a certain blessing. So, so abundance, money, is coming down in the month of Nisan because it's a time of wheat, which is bread, and the time of kings. Okay. So now listen to this. You see, any time that there's blessing coming from heaven, which is all the time, by the way, but again, think of that white light refracting through the prism. This is really the time where it's really like, especially so, Nisan, Anytime there's Shefa, blessing, coming down from heaven, if you want to be able to hold on to it, you need something. What do you need to hold on to a blessing? And the answer is you need a Kli. A Kli is a vessel. You need a container. You need a Kli to hold on to the downpouring. So, so what is the best Kli? What is the best vessel? to hold blessing, 
So the sages are very clear about this. There are in ten answers. There's one answer. Shalom, peace. Shalom, peace, is the best vessel to hold on to blessing. And by the way, it just says an aside, you'll see that all of the big prayers in Judaism end with the word Shalom. And this is by design. This is by design of the sages who constructed these things because they wanted to make sure that all of these big blessings ended with a vessel so that you could hold on to the blessing that was coming. So I'll give you a few examples. Birkat Hamazon ends with the word Shalom. That's the last word. The Shmona Esrei ends with the word Shalom. Birkat Kahanim ends with the word Shalom. The whole Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah, ends with the word Shalom. So, so now, let's go back to Purim and Pesach. I promised you that at the end of this teaching, you'll get some information where you'll have a different, you'll have a different Purim. So, if all of this Shefa, if all of this blessing is coming down in Nisan, when do we get the Kli? When do we get to the vessel? When do we get the vessel to hold on to all of that downpouring of blessing that's coming down on Pesach? And the answer is on Purim. And how do we make that vessel on Purim? By making Shalom, by making peace. And how do we make peace on Purim? By giving Matanos Levionim and Shalachmonos. By giving tzedakah and giving gifts to our friends. That's what creates the peace. That's what creates this vessel that will then serve us very, very well as we approach Pesach. And now all of a sudden we have the vessels to hold on to down the downpouring of blessing that's coming our way. Does everybody hear? Okay. So let's review. Let's review because we just learned two Purim changing teachings that will give us a very different Purim this year if we pay attention to it. Number one, if I want to, I, I've, been, I've just been given a prescription of divine medicine to get rid of the anger and the hatred and the complaints from my heart. Shalach Munas and Matanus Levionim, tzedakah and gifts to my friends. That's how I'm getting rid of the Amalek inside my heart. Not only that, but in doing so, I'm also going to make a beautiful vessel that's going to be able to hold on to all the incredible blessings that are coming down for Pesach. Okay? Okay, very good. So now, let's go deeper. And I'm also learning, I'm continuing to learn from, from Rav Frommer from the Eretzvi. Okay? Now listen to this. You know, a teaching that he's bringing a lot, and it's really, it's really like an awesome teaching, because it's really teaching us about ourselves so much, and about human nature so much, who we are. He says that there, he brings 
that there are ten levels to a person's heart. And the tenth level is so deep that that basically you can't reach it. You can't know the tenth level of your own heart. Which means on, on a very, very deep level, we ourselves don't even know who we are. And you know, I've shared this story with you before, but I really love it, and I think it illustrates this point very well. Which is, the Sanzar Rebbe was looking out his window, and he saw one of his Hasidim pass, and he calls him over to his window, and he says, if you saw a bag of money in the road, what would you do? And the Hasid said, well, Rebbe, it's a, it's a, it's a big mitzvah to, re- to, to return, you know, uh, something lost. I would, I would do everything that I could to find out whose money this is and return it to him. And, and the Sansa Rebbe said, fool! And he sends him away. And he calls over another chassid. And he says, if you found a bag of money in the road, what would you do? And he said, Rebbe, to be very honest with you, times are tough. If I found such a thing, I'd probably look both ways. And if no one was looking, I would keep the money. And the Sansa Rebbe said, wicked! And he sends him away. And then he sees another chassid and he, he calls him over and he says, what would you do? And the chassid said, Rebbe, I would like to think that I would do the right thing, but I don't know until I'm in that situation. And he said, that's the right answer. You see, this is the 10th level of the heart. As much as we think we know ourselves, who are we kidding? You know, that's how we're, that's why we're always surprising ourselves. Why did I yell at that person? Why did I lose my temper? I'm not that person. Well, I guess you are that person because that's what you did. <laughs> you know, but we don't, we don't really, we, we think of ourselves as, as, as one thing, but who are we really? We don't really know until we're in that situation. And then our true self comes out. That's the 10th level of the heart. And the Kutzka Rebbe says that, you know, I'll never know. I'll never know. I'll never know. Why am I doing what I'm really doing? I'll never really know. Is it because I really want to serve God? Or is it because I want to think of myself in a nice way? I want, I want other people to think of me in a nice way. That's why I'm doing these good things, so that other people should like me or respect me. We don't know. You know, that's, that's the 10th level of the heart. When you dig, dig, dig deep, you don't know. Okay. This is the beginning of the teaching still. Okay, that's, that's what the Kutzka Rebbe says. All right? But now listen to what Rav Frimmer says. Rav Frimmer says that the 10th level of the heart is, you've probably heard this expression before, is the pintaliyid. 
the tenth level of the heart is that that aspect of goodness that can never be extinguished, can never be wiped out from a person. In other words, a person can be rotten to the core, and yet they'll never lose this essential spark of goodness, which is in the depths of the depths of their heart. So Rav Frimer is saying that the 10th level of the heart is the goodness of God. That that's the root, that's the aspect of Hashem which is within you. All right. So Rav Frimer brings both of those things, but now I want to try to explain them. Okay? So this is me talking right now. You see, now we have a question on the Kutzkarebi, don't we? Because didn't we just say that from the from that the Kutzkarebi says we can never know what's in the tenth level of our hearts? Didn't we? Didn't we just say that in the name of the Kutzkarebi? Do you think the Kutzkarebi didn't know about the Pintaliyid? <laughs> Do you think he didn't know that there's this spark of goodness within a person that can't be extinguished? Believe me, the Kutzkarebi knew that. So if the Kutzkarebi knew that then why is he saying that we can never know? And is Rav Frimer disagreeing with the Kutzker Rebbe? Rav Frimer is a student of the Kutzker Rebbe. Okay, generations later, but he's very much in the line. His, the, the, Rav Frimer was a, was a, was a chassid of the Sokachover Rebbe, and the Sokachover Rebbe's father was the Avnei Nezer, who is the Kutzker Rebbe's son-in-law. And, and Rav Frimer was one of the top students of the Avnei Nezer, the Sokachov Rebbe's father. And of course, the Sokach, of course, the Avnei Nezer was, was, you know, absolutely a chassid of the, of the Kutzka Rebbe. He was his son-in-law. So if Rav Frimer is the, is, is a, is a chassid of the Kutzka Rebbe, you, you think he's just openly contradicting his teaching? He's saying, no, 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 the 10th level of the heart you can know. It's, it's that we're good. So since he's not contradicting the Kutzker Rebbe, but he's saying something different, how do you understand it? So I'd like to give an explanation. I think the explanation is pretty straightforward once, once, you, once, once you see it from this point of view. Which is, which is we're talking about it from two different points of view. The Kutzker Rebbe is talking about from the standpoint of a person himself, or what we can call subjective reality. From the standpoint of me inside my own head, what the Kutzker Rebbe is saying is, is, is accurate, it's true. I can never really know why am I doing what I'm doing. I can never really know until I get into that situation. How am I going to behave when I get tested? When I get put in front of that temptation, what am I going to do? I don't know. So from my point of view about myself, from the standpoint of subjective reality, what the Kutzka Rebbe is saying is 10,000% correct. But Rav Frimer is talking about from the standpoint of objective reality. Not from the point of view of the person himself, but just take 10 steps back, and just look at the big picture. Within every single person, there is that point of goodness, 
And that's in the tenth level of your heart. That's the Pintaliyid. Okay, and now we're ready for how all of this connects to Purim. Okay, you ready? We didn't forget about Purim, don't worry. Do you know what happens on Purim? You get to enter into the tenth depth of your own heart and you get to discover your own innate goodness. <laughs> from the standpoint of subjective reality, from the standpoint of the Kutzkarefi. And now, listen to this. I'm going to read it because it took me a while to distill this in a way that can be understandable. So I'm just going to read it. There's a place that you cannot reach. That's the 10th level of your heart. But there's a way that you can get there. And that's by going beyond yourself. On Purim, we go beyond ourselves. And by doing so, we can reach that 10th level of the heart. And that's Adloyada. Which means we get to the place where we don't even know we actually get to arrive to the place that we don't even know. And what's, what is that place of what we don't even know? That's the 10th level of your heart. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time. There's a place that you cannot reach, but there is a way that you can get there by going beyond yourself. On Purim, we go beyond ourselves. And by doing so, we can reach that 10th level of the heart. And we do it through Adaloyada, which means until we don't know, we get to that place which is beyond us. And that place which is beyond us is that tenth level of the heart where we get to experience our own innate goodness. You know, the person who I'm learning with says, that in quantum physics, that's called collapsing the function. That's when subjective reality and objective reality all of a sudden become one. And all of a sudden, you reach that place that can be absolutely anywhere, and you discover its exact location. Meaning to say that you get to reach that place that you don't have access to normally. You actually get there, and you discover where it is. And guess what, it, guess what the name of that address is? Is that, you know what? You're a part of God. You're a part of God. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you can't escape it because that's all that exists. Now, Rav Frummer, remember, if you wanted to be a student at Hachmei Lublin, you had to have 50, 50 pages of Gomorrah memorized. That's just to be able to apply. All right? And he was the head of the entire yeshiva. He was the Rosh Yeshiva. That's who we're learning from right now. You have to understand, we're learning exalted Torah right now. Like this is, we're very privileged to be learning this, okay? So, so, so what Rav Frommer can do that most people can't do is, not only did he have the whole Zohar memorized, by the way, and he knew every letter of the entire Talmud, backwards and forwards, right? He's now going to give us a halachic explanation 
of how this works. According to the Talmud. All right? This is not easy. Okay. Now, there's certain vegetables that become become tame. Okay? Certain vegetables can become spiritually impure. Now, let's say you have, for instance, I'm going to just use this as an example. He didn't use this as an example, but it's something that we're all kind of like, we can visualize this. Imagine you have an onion, and this onion came into contact with something, like with a dead body or something like this, okay? So so this onion has become tame. It's become spiritually impure. If the onion is fresh enough, you put it underground, right? You bury it. This is all in the Talmud. You bury it. And if the tom, if the onion takes root again, the spiritual impurity leaves the onion because it's taken root again. It's become a it's become a new entity again, and now there's no spiritual impurity attached to it. So Rav Frimer uses these visuals, and he tells us, like like like. Where is the 10th depth of the heart? Well, that's below the surface. That's like the onion going below the ground, right? It's getting buried. And then it's taking root again. Because in the 10th level of your heart, there's the root of God's presence in you. The root of Hashem is there in the 10th level. Which means that this aspect of ourselves, which has become spiritually impure, through the holiness of Purim, we're reconnecting and we're re-sprouting our roots because we're re-coming into contact with the root of our holiness itself. And so we're sprouting anew because we're coming into contact with our own innate goodness again anew. (laughs) And here, with the laws of impure and pure vegetables in the Talmud... (laughs) Rob Frimmer is showing us how halachically everything that we've just learned about the 10th depth of the heart is not only true on the highest spiritual level, but it's true on the level of onions. (laughs) In other words, he's taken the highest idea and he's brought it from heaven all the way down to earth, all the way down into the minutia of halacha. So nothing can be more real than that. Nothing can be more true than that. You've just followed the spectrum of this thought from beyond this world into this world in the realest way. So so Hashem should bless us we should cleanse our hearts. We should, you know, one thing I want to do this year now is like really prepare my Shalach Manis. I like, to me, it's been like a, like, a, you know, it's Purim, you know, whatever. Just put a couple of things together fast. But, you know, it's something to think about. 
So let's take advantage of these unbelievable opportunities. Let's cleanse our heart of anger, jealousy, of complaints. Let's take advantage of this incredible spiritual medicine. Let's understand that even deeper than Hashem splitting the sea and saving us is knowing that Hashem is saving me every single moment, even when I can't see Him. And to implant that deeply into my heart and to just do what, what, what the Jews did on Purim itself, which is to re-accept the Torah. Right? Remember, Hashem held a mountain over our head at Mount Sinai, and He really didn't give us a choice. So it says that we accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai from the standpoint of Yira. But on Purim, there's no mountain over our head. We couldn't even see the miracle that God did. But we realized God is running the world in every single particular. It's unbelievable. And you know what? All I want to do is serve him. All I want to do is his will. All I want to do is the Torah. So I'm accepting the Torah this time from the standpoint of love. And I'll just end by um, telling you a story that happened to me this week. Something unbelievable. Well, for me, it was unbelievable. But it's true. Happened, right? Inches away from where I'm telling you. So, uh, I like, um, in the winter months, I kind of look forward to this, Erev Shabbos, before Shabbos starts, I I make a fire in the fireplace. Okay? And and the last couple of weeks, the fire went out. It didn't really get lit, and then it got really kind of complicated because the person who was helping us in the house was trying to light the fire, and halakhically, this starts to get very complicated. By the way, in the Torah itself, in the five books itself, they, you know, we, we know that there are 39 categories of work. There's only one category of work that's mentioned by name in the Torah uh, regarding Shabbos. It says, don't make a fire on Shabbos. <laughs> that's the only one. It's the only one. Um, by the way, they learn out, you ready for this? It's from that verse, don't make a fire on Shabbos, that they learn out that hell, Gehenna, is closed on Shabbos. Did you know that? That Gehenim is closed on Shabbos? And they learn it out from that verse, don't make a fire on Shabbos. And by the way, that's why the Umshan of a Rebbe and other great tzaddikim extend, this is one reason, why they extend Shabbos so late. Because do you understand what they're doing? They're keeping Gehenim closed. Because while they're keeping Shabbos, it's still Shabbos in heaven. So they're saving all these souls in the next world by keeping Shabbos late. Isn't that amazing? So, so anyway. So anyway, um, you know, it gets, it starts to get a little bit complicated when people are relighting your fires on Shabbos? Are they doing it for you? Or are they doing it for themselves? It's, it's, it's messy. It's, it's messy, okay? So the last two weeks in a row this happened. And, um, and this week, a few days ago, I've got behind me, I, I learn in this place where I'm speaking to you from in the, in the mornings, uh, 
And so um, I, I've got kind of like a, a stack of Gomorrahs um, behind me. And I was reaching for a book, not even one of the Gomorrahs. I was reaching for a different book that's on the, just on the bed behind me. And by accident, my elbow hit the stack of Gomorrahs. And one Gomorrah fell to the ground. And, you know, when most books fall to the ground, they fall closed, right? Well, this Gomorrah fell to the ground open to a page. And again, when, when a lot of books, let's say if they open, then they close again, because it's like a paperback or something, right? This Gomorrah fell to the ground open clearly, like just resting on this open page. And again, I wasn't reaching for that book. I was reaching for a different book. So I thought to myself, I wonder what it says. <laughs> I pick it up, and I kid you not, it was Gomorrah Shabbos, and it was on the page, what is the proper way to light a fire, Erev Shabbos, so that you don't get into trouble, halachically? Because they had to address this question in the Beis HaMikdash because they were lighting this fire before, before Shabbos. And, in, and the bottom line is, they said, in order to avoid problems, make sure that you give yourself enough time to light it so that it catches fire well, so that there are no issues. Can you imagine? How, how did that happen? How is that possible? But there's a very clear answer how it happened and how it's possible. Because Hashem really is that close to us. Right? And this is the aspect of Purim that's happening 24-7, 365 days a year. Hashem really does love us that much. He really is paying that close attention. And He really is saying, Nudnik, you don't know how to light a fire? Herb <laughs> Shabbos? I'll show you where it says it in the Gomorrah. How are you going to show me, God? Well, you'll reach for a book, and then with your elbow, you'll knock over Gomorrah Shabbos, and then I'll open it up to the page, and knowing you, you'll say, I wonder what it says. <laughs> and then you'll figure it out, and you'll rectify your ways. Okay. Okay, everyone should have a fantastic, a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic poor. And remember, when, when it comes to holy things, you have to prepare for them. You have to prepare for them. So everyone, I want everyone to be thinking about their Shalach Munas now, and about their Tzedakah, their Matanus Leviyonos Yonim now, and really to make the most of this awesome, awesome day. What follows now are some questions and answers. I just want to tape the answer. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. So let's start again. So the, the question is, how is it that Purim can be even higher than Yom Kippur? Because in Hebrew, um, uh, Yom Kippur is called Yom Kippurim. Ki is a prefix in Hebrew, which means like. 
So that Yom Kippurim, like literally speaking, means a day that's only like Purim. That's the Ari, by the way. Which means that Purim is holier than Yom Kippur. So how can that be? Because we know that Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year. So how can Purim be even holier than Yom Kippur? So here's the answer. Angels are very, very high, but human beings are even higher than angels because angels can only do the right thing, whereas human beings have to struggle in order to do the right thing. And then when they succeed and do the right thing, they're even higher than angels. In fact, the Chofetz Chaim says something. I I love this turn of phrase. I'll, I'll never let go of it. The Chofetz Chaim says that when a person wants to speak Lashon Hara, wants to say the wrong thing, and stops themselves, the angels gasp in envy, right? Because they they don't have the ability to do such a thing. Okay, so on Yom Kippur, we reach the level of angels. We don't eat. We, we you know, we're, we're davening all day. We're wearing white. There, there are many, many things that really make us like angels. We transcend the physical. On Purim, we very much embrace our physicality and we transcend through the physical. In other words, by, by sanctifying our earthly qualities, by sanctifying the fact that we have enemies and the enemies tried to destroy us, our bodies themselves, and yet we remained victorious. So, so this dimension that we're in right now is in many ways higher than the spiritual worlds because there are obstacles to serving God here. And, and Yom Kippur is like us in our most divine aspect, our most angelic selves. But Purim allows us to sanctify our flesh and blood, this physical dimension that we're in, which makes Purim even higher than Yom Kippur. Do you know what's even deeper than the Red Sea splitting and seeing God save me? Knowing that even when I don't see him, he's saving me all the time. I shared that teaching and my holy brother David came back with, if we can see God when we don't see God, imagine what we'll see when we can see God. Unbelievable. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.